0: Lots of advice telling you how to set and reach your goals. But before you dive in, it's a good idea to know God's plan for your life. Find joy in pursuing the next steps God has for you in Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, Forward, Discovering God's Presence and Purpose in Your Tomorrow. God does have a perfect plan for you, and it's time to embrace your life's purpose. It's time to move forward. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca forward. Welcome to Turning Point. Do you feel cheated because unbelievers are the ones who seem to be having all the fun in this life? Today, Dr. David Jeremiah explains why there's no reason for Christians to feel short and every reason to feel blessed. From his series, God, I Need Some Answers, here's David to introduce today's compelling message, Why Do Good Things Happen to Bad People? Well, that's kind of
1: the opposite of the question we often hear, and that is, Why do bad things happen to good people? We've taken the other approach, and they're kind of uh, two sides of the same coin. We'll get to that in just a moment as we look at Psalm 73 together. You know, we can't have rallies this year because of COVID-19, so we've scheduled a very special event that's going to take place online on the 30th of September at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific It is a one-night live online event with special guests, musical performances, and interviews. We'll be broadcasting live to our Facebook pages as well as our website, and we'll be hosting special guests Sheila Walsh, musical guest Anthony Evans, and new friend and pastor Levi Lusko. We'll also have a special prayer for our nation. It will be a night to really remember and to help you get ready for what's Coming in the months ahead. So don't forget to write this date down. Right now, that's all you have to remember September 30th, 2020, at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. Also, uh, we want you to remember to ask for your copy of the 2021 calendar that is now available from Turning Point. The calendar has a theme called Colors of Creation. It is a beautiful, beautiful calendar with all kinds of special things. First of all, it's a 14-month calendar. begins in November of this year, uh, the same kind of page for November and December that you have for every month in the new year. And we make it available during the month of September so that we can get it to you on time. You can begin to use it when it's useful and have it all ready and in process as you move toward the new year. We have been making this calendar available now for many, many years. We've probably done 20, maybe as many as 25 calendars. This is a beautiful one. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say it's the most beautiful one we ever did, kind of do that every year. But I want you to know the colors of creation is something you'll be proud to have in your home, in your office, in your kitchen, in your den, in your bedroom. It's a a great hang-on-the-wall Piece of beauty, and I hope you'll get your copy of it when you send your gift to Turning Point during the month of September. Ask for your copy of the 2021 calendar. Well, it's time for us to get started with this really interesting question Why do good things happen to bad people? This is Psalm 73. I'm very glad that God allows us to ask questions, aren't you? Sometimes we almost get the impression that if we're godly and spiritual, we won't ever ask any of the hard questions. The Bible tells us we need to be more like little children. Little children are not ever afraid to ask any question. But you know what? As we get older, our questions get harder, don't they? And they get more sophisticated and more difficult to express. And surely what we have before us in the 73rd Psalm is a question like that. For the writer of this psalm, who is a man by the name of Asaph, writes from the struggle within his own heart about a problem with which he has been wrestling. And it's evident by reading the psalm that this has not been a short-term problem. He begins by telling us in verses 1 through 3 of his inner conflict. And he writes, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, and my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph said that he understood two things. He understood that God was good and truly had been good to Israel. He believed that. And yet he looked around in his life and saw some things which seemed to him not to make sense. For while God promised to be good to those who knew and loved him, he also seemed to bless those who were ungodly and to honor those who did not name the name of God in faith. And Asaph was a faithful Jew, obedient to the law. He had a pure heart and clean hands. But he was not enjoying the goodness of God. By reading the psalm, we discover that he was in a time of pain and pressure and problem in his life. And he couldn't sort this out. This conflict was just ripping him apart in his soul. It had bothered him so terribly that it created a deep resentment in his heart. And he says in the psalm that he came close to slipping off of the foundation of faith. How could it be, he thought, in his heart... That the ones who honor God with their lives seem to fare in a less beneficial way than those who he describes here as ungodly. And please remember that the definition of ungodly is not being as bad as you can be or even necessarily being bad. But to be ungodly is just to live your life without God. And Asaph... Is tormented in his soul because here over on this side he has this truth, what he knows to be true about God, that he is good, that he honors those who are good, and yet he sees some people that he knows are not good and they seem to be doing a lot better than he is. His inner conflict, you see, was based upon an outward contradiction. For in these verses that follow, Asaph describes how he views those who are ungodly. And he uses three or four words here to give us his understanding. He describes them, first of all, by way of their prosperity, and he is tremendously bothered by this. He says in verse 3, For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death. Their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men nor are they plagued like other men. To begin with, he saw their prosperity. The word peace and complacency is wrapped up in that word prosperity. The psalmist, as he writes this ode, he complains that the ungodly don't seem to have the pains and struggles that he has. They seem to be sailing right through life with no problems at all. They don't seem to have the pangs of death. They're sleek and most of the time presented as having all their problems in order and and no major difficulty. They're prosperous. And then he says if that bothered him, the thing that really bothered him was the fact that they were prideful. Verse 6 is, therefore pride serves as their necklace and violence covers them like a garment. Asaph said it would be bad enough if God seemed to be blessing those who did not honor Him, but the ones who are benefiting like that are walking around boasting about all the stuff they have and all the things they have gotten and all of the progress and the prosperity they have in their life, and they're in a sense they 're shoving it down your throat. Yeah. And then he goes on to say that not only is he bothered by their pride, he is bothered by their profanity. Notice verses 8 and 9. He says, they scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. He said, they not only boast of their bountiful blessings, but they mock God. They come up to you and say, you know, why are you trusting God? Look at us. We don't trust God. And look at all the good things we have, You people, you pray and you read your Bible and you go to church. Who are you kidding, man? You just got to get out there and do it, man. And look, you have what we have. And they mock. And says when he watches this, it just tears him up in his soul. He says he's bothered by their prosperity and he's bothered by their pride and he's bothered by their profanity and he's bothered by their popularity. These seem to be the people everyone looks to. Verse 10, he says, Therefore his people return here, and waters are of a full cup or drained by them. And they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease and increase in riches. His problem is that Asaph has noticed that the people we treat with the utmost respect seem to be the ungodly and the profane. In fact, His inner conflict, which is based on this outward contradiction, explodes in verses 13 and 14. And he says this, Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Do you get what he's doing? He's really now beginning to feel sorry for himself. He said, Lord, I'm doing right. I'm trying to live for you. I've cleansed my hands. I've tried to walk in a godly way. And look at how all these people are prospering. And look at what's happening to me. And I sometimes wonder, Lord, maybe this is all meaningless. Someone said a long time ago, there is more faith in an honest doubt, believe me, than in half the creeds. But there's probably not a Christian who at some time in his life, in a moment like Asaph is described, has asked himself that hard question. What if, what if they're right And we're wrong. What if life is really just getting all you can get while you're here and then you die as a dog and go to your grave? What if there's nothing to live for beyond today? What if I'm living this kind of a life and it's all based on a myth? Well, the inner conflict, which is based on an outward contradiction, leads in the last part of this psalm to an upward confidence. And at the risk of being commercial, I want to tell you, this is the real turning point in the psalm. (laughs) Because the psalmist now begins to climb out of this feeling that has swept over him. In fact, he takes six or seven steps out of this response. And the thing I love about the psalm is this. It helps us to understand how we can work through things like this. The psalms are wonderful to help us Understand that it is okay for us to express our emotion and then to work through it before God. And I want you to follow the psalmist as he works through this problem in his life because he's going to end up in the right place, but it's not a short journey. It takes some steps back to God. First thing he does is this. It's kind of incidental, but I want to mention it to you. He resists the urge to voice his doubts to people who wouldn't understand. You know, there are some folks you just can't go to and say, let me tell you what I'm working through in my spiritual life. You tell them about your doubts and it just blows them away. Listen to what the psalmist says in verse 15. He says, if I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. The psalmist says, you know, I I wanted to tell somebody about this. I wanted to express how I was feeling about the prosperity of the wicked. But I was afraid to do it because I was afraid that if I did, I would lead some of your children astray. Maybe they couldn't understand my doubts. And so I just kept quiet. Whatever else you want to say about Asaph at this point He's got a nugget of faith there, doesn't he? There's an evidence that he's got a little bit of something going on in his life. He's at least sensitive that he doesn't want to take anybody else down the path that he's gone down in his frustration and unbelief. But then the key ingredient takes place. Step number two, he returns to the presence of God. Notice verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Listen to what he says. By going into the sanctuary, Asaph puts himself in the presence of God. Now watch carefully. If you try to sort out spiritual problems... Through natural thinking, you will get into very difficult trouble. Up until this time, Asaph has been wrestling with this problem, with God off at the side of the stage. But he says, now I go into the sanctuary, which was probably the temple. And in the temple, he finds himself in the presence of God. And now he wrestles with the prosperity of the wicked in the presence of God. And when he puts God into the equation, everything changes. Now he begins to see not just a small portion of the picture, but the scope is widened and he sees how God sees. The thing is, when you get close to God, you get God's perspective. When you get far away from God, what happens is you see as the world sees. Asaph had been evaluating life on the outward accoutrements of success and prosperity He was looking at the assets of his friends and making subtle evaluations about the importance of life. But when God came back into the picture, something happened. He moved out of the realm of the natural and into the realm of the spiritual. And all of a sudden, things started to change. What happens to us? What happens to me? Is that when I begin to have doubts like that, my tendency is to remove myself from the one place where I'm going to find the answer. You can't get out of the presence of God and work through spiritual struggles. Some of you people have gone through that, and the first thing you do is you quit coming to church. Listen to what he said. When I went into the sanctuary, then things began to make sense to me. He began to think about God's perspective. The third step is that he reviews the rest of the story. This is sort of Paul Harvey in reverse the rest of the story. You see, what happened to Asaph was this. He only saw a little slice out of the life of these people who appeared to be prosperous. He saw their toys and their trinkets. He saw what looked like success. He saw all of the outward aspects of prosperity. And he made his judgment on the basis of that part of the picture. But when he got into the presence of God, then he began to see the lives of these people in their totality. And what he sees is this he sees that they're on a slippery place, that they've been cast down to destruction, that they are brought to desolation as in a moment, that they are utterly consumed with terror. And it's like a dream. When the dream is over, there's no reality to what happened in the dream. Asaph saw the future judgment of these people he thought were so successful. He discovered that without God, men cannot have inner strength, and that what looks like success is often just a mirage. And so the psalmist is trying to help us get a picture of the real story. He tells us, step number four, that when he made this evaluation, he reevaluated his own life. Verses 21 and 22, he says, Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. You know, one of the things that's good is when you realize you've made a mistake or you haven't thought through something correctly, it's good when you realize that to realize why you did it so you don't do it again. So you're not like the person who instead of having 25 years of experience, had one year of experience 25 times. You know people like that? (laughs) A lot of folks live their Christian lives like that. You know, they get one year of Christian experience 25 times because they keep doing the same thing wrong one time right after the other. Well, the psalmist is not going to do that. He's going to back away from this whole thing and say, you know what? As I evaluate what happened, let me tell you where I'm at. Boy, do I feel stupid. (laughs) Do you ever feel like that? Anybody here beside the pastor ever say on any occasion, boy, do I feel stupid? And the psalmist says, I feel stupid and I feel ignorant. Ignorant. There's a whole lot of things I could have known that I didn't know. You see, he could have gone into the sanctuary way back here when he was going through the beginning stages of this, and then he would have known what he needed to know to work through this, but no, he pampered himself. You know you can do that. You start thinking these thoughts, and then you just carry them on, and you carry them on, and you pamper yourself, and you let them go, and the psalmist says, I feel stupid, and I feel foolish, and then he says, I feel like a beast. What was that? Like a rat. Like a dog. Like a snake in the grass. He says, I feel like an animal. Step number five, he reassures his heart of God's love and goodness. This is where the psalm gets so good. He says in verse 23, nevertheless. I've drawn a circle around that word. You get down to that part of the psalm and it's nevertheless. Here's all of his problem, but nevertheless. And it says, nevertheless, I am continually with you, Lord. You hold me by my right hand and you'll guide me with your counsel and afterwards you're going to take me to glory. (laughs) You see what's happened? Way back here he started up out of this and now he's come back and he realizes that while he was questioning God, God was never questioning him. That God had a hold of his hand in the past. That God holds his hand in the present. And the greatest thing is God's going to take him by the hand and lead him into the future glory that he has planned for him. And he said, God, I realize now that I'm the object of your love, that you have loved me all of this time. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. And then step number six, he reestablishes his faith in God. Verses 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion Forever. Hmm. The psalmist comes back to the real bottom line fact of life, doesn't he? Hey, if you've got God, you've got everything. Amen. You say, well, Pastor, I sure would like that BMW. Hmm. Well, try driving it to eternity. <laughs> it won't get you there. Amen. <laughs> I'd like to have that big house. Well, if you're like Randolph Hearst and you can't sleep in it, what good is it to you? You know, I'm not trying to be foolish, and I'm not trying to say that nice things don't matter. All of us, because of our humanity, need to understand that God has given us all the good things to enjoy, and there's nothing wrong with them unless that becomes the focus of our life. And I want to tell you something. If you get in the game of comparison, which is what Asaph was doing, there's always somebody who's got a little bit more than you have. There's always somebody who lives in a little nicer house and drives a little better car and has got a little better job and a little better benefits. And if this is a game of comparisons, there's no way you can ever find peace. The psalmist comes back and he says, You know, I realize that I've just missed out in evaluating my life. I've got God. And what else could I ask for? You know the difference? Here it is, folks. The world is into price tags. God is into value. Does that grab you? The world is into price tags. But God is into real value. God doesn't have price tags. God deals with genuine value. When you have God, you've got the genuine article. You don't have to be examining price tags. The world loves to show you how much it costs. God loves to tell you how much it's worth (laughs) when you've got God. And you may be listening to my voice today and you say, Pastor Jeremiah, I'm so poor. I've hardly got enough to keep body and soul together. I don't know where next week's rent's coming from. I want to tell you something. I know that doesn't feel good. But if you have a heavenly father who knows and loves you, you know, he's going to take care of you. And you know, he cares about you. And you know that in him, you have the most valuable relationship that is possible to man. So the psalmist step number seven resolves to stay near God. Listen to this. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all of your works. Take this psalm apart and go back and read all the things that Asaph said about the wicked at the beginning. And then write down all the things that he said about them at the end. Write down all the things that he said about the godly at the beginning and write down all the things he said about them at the end. And what you'll see is that when Asaph got into the presence of God, everything got flip-flopped. And now he sees the wicked for what they are. They're going to perish. They're not prosperous. They're going to perish. You see the difference? And the godly who seem to be suffering... They're going to be taken to glory by the hand of God himself. And the only difference, the only difference was that Asaph got back into sync with God. Mm. And you know, that's the great news of the Bible, that God is a God of second chances, that he allows us to come back even when our leaving is so onerous uh, to him. He brings us back out of his kindness and mercy and grace when we come back He forgets about what's happened in the past, and he offers us his forgiveness and love for the future. And uh, what a great testimony to the grace and mercy of God. Tomorrow here on Turning Point, we're going to talk about how to be truly forgiven, and we're going to use the experience and the writing of David to teach this principle. Tomorrow, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, the story of David and his forgiveness. Hey, friends, we have a beautiful resource for the month of September. It's the 2021 Turning Point calendar called Colors of Creation. And it's available to you during this month only. And uh, here's what you do. You send a gift of any size to Turning Point. We encourage you to be generous, as generous as you can be. But you do what you can do. And when you do it, you ask for this beautiful calendar. It will show up at your doorstep before you know it. You're going to love this, and you're going to use it, and it'll be something you'll want to look at every day in the
0: year to come. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current series, God, I Need Some Answers, please visit our website where we offer two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Point, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of our 14-month 2021 calendar, Colors of Creation, highlighting God's breathtaking handiwork. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard and New International versions, as well as in standard or large print in the New King James, with helpful notes from over 40 years of study by Dr. Jeremiah, visit davidjeremiah.org slash radio for details this is david michael jeremiah join us tomorrow as we continue god i need some answers here on turning point with dr david jeremiah turning point presents the jeremiah study bible drawing on more than 40 years of study by dr david jeremiah Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at JeremiahStudyBible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca/jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca/jsb.
1: The teachings of Jesus Christ are wonderfully simple. He used language and illustrations that were understandable by everyday people. Jesus is a good example of a principle that says, the more you know about a subject, the less time it takes you to explain it. Because Jesus was both God and man, He knew both subjects thoroughly and could explain them easily. When we find ourselves struggling to explain something about God, even explaining it to ourselves, It may be a sign that we don't know as much about Him as we thought. Don't let a day go by without increasing your knowledge of God. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover who God is on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.